Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Suffering with Spurs podcast with me, Sean Torgerman. I'm recording this uh, on Monday, the day after the three-all draw with Manchester City at the Etihad, um, which puts to an end the run of three defeats on the spin, which is one of the biggest positives about it, really. Although it's obviously only a point, it's really good to put that losing streak to an end um, and prevents us from setting a new record, something that would never have been done before, which is to go ahead, take the score the first goal, take the lead in four consecutive games and end up losing them all. Um, we equaled a record by doing it for the third time against Villa. So to have, to have stopped that happening, all of those things are important. You don't want to be associated with a record like that, regardless of the situation we're in with players being injured suspended all that sort of stuff we don't want uh we don't you don't want to be taking the lead in four consecutive games and losing all of them so and look the hardest place to go probably in the world at the moment would be the etihad um although they've been off it you'd have to say for the last sort of month to six weeks they've uh, had a couple of dodgy results they but before the liverpool draw the week before, they'd won 23 consecutive home games in all competitions. So they've obviously now drawn two in a row. Um, I can't remember the Leipzig result as well. But uh, yeah, they've obviously fallen off it a little bit. But for us to go there with the unbelievably depleted squad that we have um, and get a draw, although obviously, the, the, well, we'll get into that. We could have been four or five, one down at half time, but exactly the same could have been, could be said for us against Villa the week before. We probably should have been four or five nil up at half time in that game. We ended up losing it. So you don't always get what you deserve, but sometimes you get something that to make up for what you should have got the week pr uh, prior. So that's what happened yesterday. And look, in the, in the end, with our second half performance, we absolutely deserved uh, something out of the game, but um, after that first half, it, at the end of the first half, it was an absolute relief to go in. Uh, only one goal behind. Um, I was there yesterday, uh, freezing cold in Manchester. It was a um, lot of empty seats, quite a lot of empty seats in the Spurs end, to be fair. There was a good three, four, five around me. Um, so obviously, but train strikes and stuff affect that sort of thing, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, obviously a brilliant game to be at because those games at the Etihad, when we've had, although Manchester City are the sort of the perennial winners at the moment, they're, they've won for four out of the last five Premier Leagues, um, five out of the last six Premier Leagues, is it? They won three, in the, three on the bounce. Liverpool won the one before that and they won the two before that. So yeah, five of the last six Premier Leagues. Uh, we, for whatever reason, have this spectacular record against Manchester City, considering that we, and we've had it for a long time, to be fair. It's, um, and even through the, the sort of what you maybe call dark days of, um, Mourinho and Conte, where the football wasn't enjoyable in any way, we were able to go, go to City and especially at home, we haven't actually, we haven't conceded a goal against City at home since the new stadium opened. We've won all five games, which is a pretty remarkable achievement. As at, away at City, it's a little bit different. We obviously won a few seasons ago with that last minute uh, Kane header in a game that we probably, we definitely deserve to win. Um, we went 2-0 up away last season. 
uh, when it, but it didn't ever, we didn't ever really feel like we had that game under control, even though we did get a couple of goals. It was largely due to mistakes from them. If you remember, Edison gave the ball straight to Kulisevsky on the edge of the area and he put it in. Uh, Kulisevsky, who's now scored on every visit that he's made to the Etihad. But yeah, we've got, we've, we are their bogey team. There's no doubt about that. Ask any City fan who, who the team is, it, especially during their successful period, the team that they probably dread facing the most, as funny as it may sound, is probably Spurs because we've been there on so many occasions to stop them in their tracks when they look like they're just unstoppable. Uh, you can even go back as far to the first sort of season that we were both competing for Champions League football, just as the Abu Dhabi, uh, the Abu Dhabi regime had started at City under Mancini before they went on to win the league and that uh, sort of playoff, as it turned out to be, at the end of the 2009-10 season um, at the Etihad. We went there, Harry Redknapp's team and Peter Crouch scored that famous goal that got us into the Champions League before City managed to get there. Obviously, since then, they've massively overtaken us and uh, gone on to be unbelievably successful. But yeah, we are their bogey team. There is absolutely no doubt about that. Um, and it proved again, we just managed to, we've, we've always score against them, near enough always. We always managed to cause them problems completely in a completely different way this time round to what we have been doing because that's that was what was so interesting about this game. Obviously, we do have this amazing record against City, but in recent times, at least, in the last three or four years under Mourinho and Conte, we've got results against them by sort of backs-to-the-wall performances where we've defended extremely well and used our significant threat on the counter-attack to, to hurt them. And that's obviously what we did in the last game. We played against them when we beat them 1-0 at home when Kane got that record, record-breaking record goal. Um, <clears throat> that was a sort of smash and grab. We, I mean, say smash and grab. We, we deserved to win that game, but it was very much about sort of being pragmatic and nullifying all their threats and stopping them from getting attempts on goal as much as you can with City because no matter what sort of system you play, they will create chances. Uh, and that was the same for most of our wins against them, uh, under, especially under Mourinho. We beat them uh, twice at home, if you remember, in Bergwijn's debut, we beat them um, two 0 during the lock, the proper lockdown when Lacelso got his first goal for us. Um, Nuno, we beat them one 0 in a similar sort of performance. So yeah, that's always been the tactic. But obviously, under Postecoglou yesterday, we always knew, despite the sort of incessant, endless questions he gets from the relentlessly repetitive uh, journalists and. And uh, yeah, pundits uh, in press conferences about, oh, are you going to change because it's City? Are you going to change because you're undermanned because you're missing so many players? And the answer is always the same. No, we're not. Why would we? That's not the team we are now. I'm not here to... And Andrew made a great point before the game. Really, really liked it. Saying, I'm not... I haven't been brought in to beat City. Like, because as you've said, Spurs have got a great record against City. If that was the the remit, then I wouldn't be here. I'm not here because I want to win the odd game against City. I'm here to create something which is going to be sort of implementable in every game, regardless of who we're playing. I want to create something. If we initially don't get the results that we want, then so be it. Because the end goal and the 
the plan for a six months a year down the line is far more important than any one result in this game. Obviously, keep it in mind that you obviously have to get results along the way. Um, and that's what's so brilliant about him is that he meant it. And in this game, obviously, like I said, it could have been very, very different. City missed some chances, um, as as you do. Harlan missed an unbelievable sit of Doku hit the bar. Um, they had chances to definitely go further. They definitely have chances to be further ahead than just 2-1 in the first half, that's for sure. Uh, it was a relief when that halftime whistle blew. Um, more than probably at any other time this season. 2-1 down, you were like, brilliant. And get him in at half-time. Tell him to stop being so hesitant. Because a lot of the, as good as City are at creating chances, a lot of the chances they created were just invited by us, just by certain players not playing the way that Ange wanted them to, being too hesitant on the ball. There was far... It was frustrating because of Emerson Royale, bless him... <laughs> You have to say, he's not a centre-back. He's not a brilliant player anyway. He's not brilliant on the ball. He wants to take too many touches. He gets very self-indulgent, as I always say, for someone who isn't brilliant on the ball. But for whatever reason, I'm not really sure why, Vicario, whenever he got the ball, would always choose to play the ball. Well, I'd say 80% of the time was choosing to play the ball to Emerson instead of Ben Davis when both were in space. I can't really think why but he carried on giving it to Emerson and even from the very first minute Emerson sort of allowed the ball to run across his body near the byline and there was so much time to keep the ball in and for whatever reason he didn't his brain he had a brain fart and the ball went out for a throw when it didn't need to and I mean obviously it wasn't just him but he was the poster boy for the sort of hesitancy the lack of confidence the Obviously, Ange said after the game that at half time he said that he just wanted them to just believe in what they're doing, stop taking so many touches, stop overthinking things. And you could tell that was what Emerson was doing. He was overthinking it every single time. And he got into a sort of pattern where every time Vicario played him the ball, he would just play it straight back to Vicario and there wasn't any thought of going forward. And he, de- he look, he's played the full 90 minutes and he got. He definitely improved during the game. In that first half, we were inviting pressure on ourselves by just not being confident enough when we got the ball. Um, and they did have create a lot of chances, City. And like I said, should have been further ahead at uh, half time, but they weren't. And they obviously re- will now massively regret that missing all those chances when they were in the ascendancy, when they were playing really well. Um, we saw in that first half, though, some real glimpses of sort of as we are doing more so in this as he plays more often, Brennan Johnson's unbelievable pace for the, for the goal, obviously, by the way, brilliant, brilliant counter-attack. Been a while since I've seen us saw, score such a f- free-flowing counter-attacking goal as that. Brilliant work from here on the edge of the area. Again, that's Ange ball down to a tee. Don't just hoof it clear the moment you get an opportunity to. You take a risk on the edge of the box, and that is a risk to take. But one thing Gil definitely is good at, although he's obviously... He's got his limitations, as we'll talk through later, because he's he is very lightweight, and in a maybe it wasn't the perfect game for him um, because City are, and you don't real you don't realise it till you actually play them and you remember, and that more now than ever they are a massive team in terms of physical stature. Um, all of them, they never they used to be. If you remember three or four years ago, they were sort of kind of a 
they had like diminutive players. They still got obviously Bernardo Silva and uh, I say people like that, but the more there's a lot less of those going on now. Obviously, there was Bernardo Silva, Dav, David Silva, Mares, Aguero, small diminutive sort of players, even Jesus. Um, Phil Foden's obviously one of them, but the rest of them are units. And we're talking about the whole back line there. We, when you've got Guardiola, um, if Stones is playing, he's obviously there. Diaz, Akanji, Carl Walker, Rodri's massive. Um, Haaland obviously goes without saying. Like these are big, big players, and in it, Hill, I guess, just genetically is not going to be able to put on any any significant size. So I think that is more than likely why he didn't have an awful game in the first half. That's because, like I said, as I'm going to get back to that first goal, he he obviously was the initial creator for that first goal, but he got brought off half time because it, the game was physical and you're playing against big men and he looked like a boy against men in a lot of situations there. And it was too easy for, for them to brush him off the ball. And I don't think that's the end of Hill's sort of run of starts. I wouldn't be surprised if he started again on Thursday, but I think Ange probably realised when they were all up in front of him, like this is a massive team and it's probably not, probably not going to work out for Hill to play the whole game. But yeah, brilliant work on the edge of the box. Really, that is what he's great at. He's very intelligent when he gets the ball. If he sees the pass early enough, he'll play it. Um, obviously, there was, there's a moment a little bit later on where he didn't, but he did in that moment. Kulisevsky, great ball over the top. And the thing that was so great about this goal is that I think a lot of people have not been questioning if Sun's lost his pace because we know he's still quick. But is he still that quick? The way that if, is he still as quick as he was three or four years ago? A really good example is Kyle Walker, who's somehow, even though I think he's 34 now, still absolutely as rapid, it seems, as he ever has been. Um, and we definitely last season, you started to wonder if Sun's pace had left him. Even if you lose that half a yard, it makes a massive difference when you're playing against like top level professionals. But I think he proved, obviously, Doku's not, Doku was the man that he was up against when Kulisevsky played that ball across the, over the top. Um, and Doku's obviously not a defender, so you can understand how he might have been brushed off the ball, but he's rapid and Son outpaced him. Um, Doku looked like he might have given up near the end to get the ball back, but I mean, Son had a lot of running to do with the ball there and he could have played it across to Brennan Johnson, who was completely free at one point and would have had probably a tap in, um, but he didn't. He went ahead with it. He got his shot away, which I don't think Edison was expecting at the time, which might have contributed to why it sort of slipped through his hands. Obviously, he'll definitely see that as a mistake, but brilliant start to the game that was. Obviously, followed up by um, Sonny. Unfortunate, sticks his knee out. Similar type of free kick to the one that Pau Torres scored from. Not Obviously, scored completely differently because that was a header that he, he got first to, but it was sort of that in-swinger where there's a big line of defenders and attackers all running for it at the same time, and we got caught out again. So that's... Not great. Two goals relatively similar in the way they were constructed in in two weeks. But uh, yeah, Sonny stuck his leg out. Nothing you can really do about it in that situation. It's an instinctive thing. And it was one all very, very quickly. From then on, they obviously dominated. We had a couple of moments where, like I said, I was going to say, Hill, if he sees the pass at the exact right moment, instead of carrying the ball when we were sort of on the counter-attack. And I've seen a lot of criticism of him on Twitter for like, oh, how didn't he see that pass? As if everyone just plays the perfect pass every time. 
he didn't. He carried on with it, and then in the end, it was too late. Um, I won't criticise him too much for that. But other than that, there wasn't that much in the first half. Andrews obviously got into them second half, told them to be confident, taken that responsibility away from them, which is what he does so well, and he always speaks about like I'm the one telling you to play what these other people are calling risky football. Um, do it. I take responsibility for it. Stop hesitating. Stop thinking about the danger, about the jeopardy, and just go for it. And although in the very first second of that um, second half, Vicario actually gave the ball straight to them. Bernardo Silva uh, hit a ball, beautiful shot with the outside of his foot, and Vicario made an unbelievable save. Brilliant keeper, as I say every week. Um, but after that, we really started to grow into the game. We had so much more possession. Um, I've rewatched the game since, and you saw a stat, I think, on after 60 minutes that we'd had 79%. I think it was 79%. Either 79, I think, no, maybe it was 71% to 29% um, in the first 20 minutes of the second half, which against City at the Etihad is absolutely insane as a statistic. If you watch enough football, you watch enough City, they very often the end statistics of possession will be 75 to 25 in their favour. Look, possession doesn't do fuck all if you don't do anything with it. But just it's just a great feeling to see that after so, after two, three, four years of the anti-football we had to watch where we went to, to games and very often, especially against teams that kept a lot of possession, we'd have 30% of the ball. It's just not fun to watch as a fan watching your team not have the ball. You want your team to have the ball invariably. And we were able to keep hold of the ball really, really well. Whilst not creating that much, it has to be said, but it always felt like we had a goal in us. Um, and let, play, like I said, players were growing into the game, um, feeling more confident than the ball. And the endless uh, engine of Kulisevsky played brilliant again, even though he sort of had to move back into his sort of normal position of, of the right wing when Hoiberg came on for, for Hill. Hoiberg did a job that it, it's a really weird one with Hoiberg at the moment because he's very, he's a very easy target for a certain section of Spurs fans. They don't like him because he's look, he's not a naturally gifted, easy on the eye football, let's say. And in games where you really want to dominate the ball against teams, not like City teams. Look, we wanted to dominate the ball against City and we did for certain periods, as I've just said, but you're not going to see as much of the ball against City as you choose because City are a, a brilliant team and they're the masters of keeping hold of the ball. But um, so in games where maybe you know you're going to have more of the ball, Hoiberg isn't necessarily the best player to be on the pitch because you have to sort of set the tempo of the game and that's not really his thing. He tries his hardest and he's he's a perfectly talented footballer who's got a decent pass in him. He, he's got a great shot on him. Sometimes he makes good decisions, uh, but he just hesitates a little bit more. He's just not someone like Bentoncourt, for instance, who just pass and move, pass and move, pass and move elegantly without having to sort of think about it too much. But in games like this, He's perfect to bring on. And I mean, the, the fact that Andrew's brought him on on so many occasions means he knows exactly what he's good for. He's tried him, for instance, in the Wolves game. It wasn't it, it wasn't a good game from Hoiberg. That midfield in general wasn't a good decision from Andrew. I think, as you can see with his midfield's decisions since then, he's learned from that. But in general, Hoiberg is such a useful player to have. And he's the only one we've really got like that, who's that, who doesn't try and be fancy with it. He breaks up play. Um, He's aggressive with the ball. 
and he does the dirty work, um, which allows Lacelso and Basuma to do the other stuff. Basuma, he's still finding his feet back in the team. Obviously, we know he was in a great run of form before that stupid red card against Luton, and then obviously he came back and got suspended again. And that's that's it's obviously halted his tempo. He's he's gone. I wouldn't say back to what he was um, under Conte, but he's definitely lost a little bit of confidence. We'll obviously get to his mistake a little bit later, but yeah, he was he was starting to grow into the game a little bit. But Lacelso was really the one in midfield who was who looked like he was going to make something happen, and it. And eventually, the, the possession and the high line that we were playing with really told, and it was the high line that created our equaliser um, to make it 2-2 because a misplaced pass from Alvarez comes to Ben Davis, who brilliant diving header. It wasn't just a clearing header. It was like, here's an opportunity to make a, a pass with my head. And he was literally at the edge of the semicircle, city semicircle in the, in the, in the middle of the pitch, right up there. If that... If we'd been playing a deeper line there, he wouldn't have been anywhere near it. And that header came to Sun. Sun lays it off to the Celso. And I, for one, am so, and as, as I'm sure most most fans who don't have like this self-deprecating thing that they love sort of throwing at Spurs in general and players, I saw a lot of stuff sort of the week before the Villa game where there was a lot of talk that the Celso had had a good game and for Argentina against Brazil and that he he might be the answer while Madison was uh, out. People saying, oh, he's the worst signing we've ever made. He's he's up there with Ndombele. He's done absolutely fuck all the whole time he's been here. And there's some credit to some of that. He has been a disappointment for the amount of money that we paid for him at the time. Um, it's been stop-start. But what I have known the whole time is this is you cannot compare Lacelso in any way to Ndombele. And Ndombele is a wasted talent who's never going to get another big contract in his life after his one runs out of Spurs. Lacelso isn't the same. Lacelso gets picked as a starter for the world champions pretty much every time he's fit, regardless of how much he's playing for his club. Um, he, under Poch, had just started to break into the team a little bit. If you remember, we, he scored that goal away against Red Star Belgrade in the Champions League. Um he was starting to find his feet after he'd only just signed. And then under Mourinho, he was gradually becoming a really good player just before COVID. As I said last week, he was um, starting to show what he was really capable of. Since COVID fell off a cliff, he had a little stint um, during that Mourinho second season um, where when we were top of the league, where he scored against City, obviously. Um, and then since then, we've not really seen him. Uh, but he's been given an opportunity. When he came on against Wolves, I thought he was a real like bright light in that game where we didn't play well. And I think if he played longer in that game, we, we might have seen a different outcome. Um, against Villa, he was brilliant. I think everyone agreed that he was brilliant. But we were obviously all wanting to see, is that a, a one-off game, which we did end up losing? Or are we going to see more from him? And he really took responsibility there, like... Brilliant. He got Sonny laid it off to him. Sonny made a brilliant decoy run. I think Sonny was hoping for the ball back, but he didn't get it. It opened up the space. I was right behind it. And you saw LaCelso sort of break into that space. And you just knew from the moment he put it that he shot, it was coming in off the post. And brilliant moment for him. And he's really fighting, like I said, he's really finding his feet in his Spurs shirt now. Um 
I was shocked that 10 minutes later, uh, Ange took him off. I really, really was. He didn't take, I was really shocked that he took off. He took him off instead of Basuma because I felt like if you're going to bring on Skip, then bring him on for Basuma. So, because we, I'm sure Ange, I don't know. That I, I mean, Ange wasn't, I'm sure, deciding we're just going to settle for this draw, surely. But off he came. And very, very shortly after that, uh, Basuma, look, Ange has, doesn't ask for his players to overplay. And there's been a debate about this sort of like, is that a result of Ange ball and asking his players to be brave on the ball and not always make the simple pass? But that's Basuma. That's not Ange saying, oh, if you see three players in front of you, try and take it round him instead of playing the simple pass to, I think it was Ben Davis on the left. Like that was, that was completely unnecessary from Basuma. Look, it's a mistake at the end of the day. Um, but that's just, I think that's a as much as it's being confident in your ability, I also think that's a lack of concentration. Like you didn't need to take that risk. There was someone completely free. It wasn't a pass back. You were under pressure from, you, you saw as soon as they got the ball, there were three City players sort of swarming around the ball at the time. There was no reason to take that risk. And he did. And it's so annoying because look, a draw at City is great, but I genuinely feel we've got, we've gone on to win that game because City, they didn't deserve to get that goal. They hadn't created anything really for the entire second half up until that point. And we gave them an opportunity that we didn't need to give them. And they're always going to be clinical in that situation. Uh, but yeah, look, it's a mistake from Basuma. Like I said, he's not looking, he's not looking like he did for the first 10 games of the season, but it will take time for him to get back. The more he plays, that was his first game back. It's been stop start from him ever since he will learn from that mistake. There's no doubt about that. Um, and, you have, I have to admit, at that at that moment, you think once City get that goal, they've obviously they feel like they've got away with it. You wouldn't be surprised if they go on and score a fourth and a fifth, even because of the way that we were definitely not going to sort of sit back and accept it under Conte. Go three two down. As I mean, if you if you remember, we obviously were two 0 up against City last season away. Once we went three two down, it didn't look like. Conte had any intention of going and trying to get back in the game. It looked like we're, it was more a case of self-preservation. Let's not get thrashed. And we ended up losing 4-2. Clement Longley, if you remember. Silly back part. Silly miscontrol, I think. Um, and then they went through and Mares, I think, made it 4-2. But we had 10 minutes left and we didn't, we didn't give up. And brilliant. As, as a, not annoyed, as surprised as I was that Skip had come on for Lo Celso, Skip actually probably, he only had a sort of, what was it, 10, 12 minute cameo, but he probably had the biggest impact that he has all season for us. Quite a few times this season, he's come on for sort of 5, 10, 15 minutes and he's added very, very little. If anything, he's destabilised the midfield and he really didn't do that. Uh, yesterday, he was really positive in his play, and he was the instigator for that equalising goal. Um, it was his sort of quick jink round a couple of players and pass that uh, set us on our way. Played out to Brennan Johnson, who, like I said, is really. I was excited when I when I heard that we were signing him because he's. I saw his pace last year for for Forest, and I, we saw an unbelievable bit of pace he had last week against Villa, and he sh showed it a few times again 
uh, yesterday. And if you give him some space, then he's very direct and he will take someone on and he, and he'll take someone on and he'll get an early crossing. And that's exactly what he did. It reminded me so, it reminded me so much of the Kane winner at the Etihad. And obviously it was a 90th minute goal. And obviously that was from the opposite side, but it was Kane sort of beating someone to a header who should have had the header. Walker should have been there for the header, for the Kane goal. And Ake really should have got there before Kulusevsky. But he came flying in and then in off the bar. And it looked like an amazing header. It turns out it went in off his shoulder. But that the reason it went in off his shoulder is because the force he went into that into that jump with was just amazing. And a, what a moment in the away end, obviously, to get a, uh, an equaliser. Anything at the Etihad is a bonus. Most teams would sort of tick that off as a game you'd expect to lose in terms of fans. But something about us and City that doesn't hurt, makes us not give up. And we've had so many amazing moments at that stadium. You think about just off the top of your head, the crouch. It wasn't the 90th minute. I think it was the 83rd minute, the crouch one. The crouch winner, the um, the Champions League uh, end of the game where we thought we'd obviously lost it and VAR ruled it out. If you remember rightly, the game after that, which was only a few months later in August of the next season, we drew two all with City and they thought they'd scored a 90th minute winner again that got ruled out for VAR um, because of a handball, I think, from a Jesus. That was obviously an amazing moment. Then you've got the Kane winner, two seasons ago, and then this one. So, yeah, there's, there's just so many games against City where we just managed to come out on the, with the upper hand. Look, we drew the game, but a, a draw for us at City is absolutely massive. Heard loads of the City fans as we were leaving, complaining, being the celebration police. Oh, they drew, they're acting like they won the Champions League. Should be flattered when stuff like that happens, I think. Like, be flattered. Like, you're the champions, the European champions. Any team that gets anything against you is going to be delighted. But for us, it's not... Any Spurs fan knows this at the moment. For us, it isn't about that. Like, we've we've drawn... We've got a point out of the last four games. But there's this amazing feeling around the club because we can all see, I think, where this is heading. We can all see the end game here. We can see that we we've all got this acceptance that... I mean, number one, because of the unbelievable amount of injuries we've got. But also the fact that we're able to, even with those injuries, we're going out there and putting these performances in week after week, Wolves game aside, where we may lose, but you can see that when Ange has got a stronger squad and he's got his best players in this squad back, we're going to be such a force. And there's no doubt in my mind about that. Um, you'll obviously get banned from other fans and they're all going to say that because these early stages always come with with bumps in the road. We didn't see them initially and that sort of maybe made us get a little bit ahead of ourselves in terms of what we were going to achieve straight away. And I mean, I genuinely still believe that if Madison, Van der Ven and Romero weren't out, then we may well have continued on the the road we were going after during that Chelsea game when we nearly went 2-0 up and I think we would have gone on and beaten Wolves, beaten Villa who knows against City, but look, that's life. It hasn't worked out that way. What 
that has done is created this situation where players like Lacelso um, have been given opportunities to make, play minutes that they probably wouldn't have got. Because let's be honest, if Madison stays fit, the fact we've only got one game a week, he's playing. 80, 90 minutes minimum every single game. And Lacelso probably doesn't get this opportunity, but because he has done, we've obviously seen um, what he's capable of again. And that's so, so good. Um, one that doesn't get mentioned, that hasn't been mentioned yet. I've said Emerson Royale, but Emerson Royale, no doubt, is going to be replaced on Thursday by Romero, who's back, which is a really good thing. Ben Davis, I think, just deserves unbelievable credit. Um, you could some people saying that maybe he's at fault for City's second goal because he broke the line because they would have been offside. Maybe, but I think we were very passive in that moment anyway, and I felt he just thought something needs to be done here. Um, but I think Ben Davis has just been he's just such a credit to the club. He gets so much shit. He always gets sort of thrown in there with that, with the sort of oh, let's get oh, I can't believe we've still got Dyer, Davis, Sanchez when he was here, obviously. They're sort of remnants of the past. Get rid of them. Ben Davis, there is a reason that he gets minutes under every single manager we've had since he's been there. And that's because he may not be spectacular. He may not be a perfect defender, but he's an intelligent defender and he makes the most of his ability. And he reads the game really, really well. He knows his limitations. He never, ever tries to do anything fancy. In the, when you compare him to Emerson Royale, the complete opposite, polar opposites, both are limited in their ability. I'd say Ben Davis is a more has more ability than Emerson Royale. Then neither of them are spectacularly talented, but Davis definitely does. But you never see Davis trying to mess around with the ball. You never see him try and do a step over or, a, or roll the ball over with his foot. And I'm not having a dig at Emerson here. He's Brazilian. It's in their blood to sort of showboat to an extent. But Emerson puts your heart in your mouth on a regular basis. And Ben Davis doesn't. And they're play they're both full. Obviously, look, Davis has got more experience playing as a kind of central defender because he played on the left side of a three um, for, for nearly the entire time Conte was there. But he's not played in a back four as a as a centre back before. And might have maybe once or twice, but he's probably done it for Wales a few times. But for Spurs, this is a completely new thing for him. And like I said, when obviously when Van der Ven comes back, um, he won't be playing at centre back. But while he's out, you'd imagine that he's almost definitely going to be the um, the uh, the partner for Romero. There's no doubt about that. And he's, he's, I just think he gives you a solid six or seven out of 10 every single game. Doesn't try and complicate things. Puts his head in for everything. Never shies away from a tackle. Commands the box really well in a, let's be honest, a back four that needs someone to sort of run it. Uh, Emerson isn't going to do it. Pedro Porro basically isn't even a right back anymore. Um, he was very sort of, he was, he was, playing as a central midfielder almost the entire game. I know that he's an inverted fullback now, but very often, especially in that first half, Jeremy Doku just had a free run at everything. Um, so, yeah, Davis, really, really good performance for him. Another one, and you'll be, I'd be very, very surprised if he isn't the, the centre-back partner for Romero on Thursday. But, yeah, all in all, I think everyone gave a great account of themselves. Kulisevsky, as I said, 
is has had a great season so far. I think I think he's been one of our best players this season, um, and it's gone kind of under the radar. He's obviously scoring a lot more. I think he only scored. I think he scored two goals last season in the league. He might have scored three. I'm pretty sure he only scored two. He's already scored four this season. Um, he's really thriving under Ange. He know, like I said, he knows pretty much that he's going to be on the pitch for 90 minutes every single game. Nearly, um, he's got this incredible stamina. Like I mean, obviously his goal is a result of him never giving up and making runs into the box all the way through until the 90th minute. And it's been mentioned a few times actually. I saw um. Saw a Gary Neville, Gary Neville's uh, podcast he did, and he was incredibly complimentary of those Spurs players, which he hasn't always been. He was talking about United and how um, they don't run and they get outrun by everyone and they don't, they're giving up and they're not running themselves into the ground. And, um, and he compared them to Spurs and he goes, what, com- when you compare United and Spurs, look at that Spurs team, all of them sprinting to every single ball without fail. That manager has managed in such a short space of time to turn this team from... And look, under Conte, especially in the first season, we were definitely renowned for being really, really fit and closing the ball down really, really well. But it's in a completely different way, this. This is a pressing team. This isn't a team that just sort of runs around for what seems to be the sake of it. Um... And that Conte team was good in the first season. We can't, I feel like sometimes it's painted in a really bad light because of what the second season was like. But in the first season, they were very, very fit. But yeah, Gary Neville complimenting the Spurs side on the fact that they they were so relentless in their pressing. And yeah, Kulisevsky is one of the number one people um, in the team who does that. Everyone was really, really good, I think. Emerson was dodgy in the first half, no doubt about it, but he definitely improved. Um, and obviously that, reduce City to a lot less chances. Pedro Porro can't speak highly enough of him. Didn't have the best game yesterday in terms of what he has done, but he's turned into a really, really reliable player for us. And Udoji just gives you a solid seven or eight every week, I think. Um, and yeah, that puts... that puts Obviously, we've got West Ham and Newcastle this week, but we've had a really difficult, I'd say, run of fixers when you go from Chelsea... Wolves, Villa and City with the injuries we had and having to adjust to the sort of Wolves game with that disaster of a of a fallout from the Chelsea game. Um, we go into now two home games because we've we've played eight away games. Out of our 14, we've played eight away and six at home. Um, and that's not easy, especially the away games that we've had. Wolves isn't easy. Wolves obviously beat City at home. City goes without saying. So... We've got a real opportunity now to go and get a couple of wins on the on the board. And look, West Ham and Newcastle are no pushovers, absolutely not. But I really see that West Ham game as a massive opportunity for us to go and get three points. Um, big game late on Thursday night. West Ham obviously love nothing more than coming to Spurs and trying to do us over. Um, and they are more than capable of it. We've had plenty of sort of hiccups against West Ham over the years, but I've got real confidence that with Romero back in the side, that's massive. I think that'll probably be... Maybe, yeah, that, I think that'll probably be the only change. There is a good. There is always, obviously, the, the chance that um, he'll 
play with that sort of second half side with Hoiberg in for Hill and putting Kulisevsky back into his normal position. Who knows, Richarlison may be ready, although I heard Postacoglu said before the game that Richarlison's not even nearly ready to really be playing. He might get a few minutes at the end, so that's probably not going to change between now and now and um, Thursday. You'd think that there's a good if if Hill doesn't if Hill gets bullied any more during a game, you can see there's a possibility that Richarlison will probably go back into that position and maybe keep Kulisevsky at number 10 and keep Johnson on the right and put um, Richarlison on the left. There's a possibility that that could happen, but I don't think it'll happen yet. Uh, I'd imagine, yeah, I'd imagine Hoiberg will probably start with uh, Kulisevsky going back into his normal place on the right, and then you'd have uh, Brennan Johnson on the left. Romero back in defence, like I said, that'll be massive, really will be massive. If you were to offer me having Romero or Van der Ven back first. I would actually say Van der Ven, not because I don't love Romero, but I think Van der Ven is the composure in that defence. But just to have just to have a proper centre-back playing back in the defence is going to be massive for the team and I think we'll be a lot uh, less vulnerable than we have been um, in recent games. And yeah, I've got real confidence that we're going to go into that West Ham and get a win. Uh, followed by Newcastle on the Sunday... Uh, which is probably when I'll do the next podcast after that one. Um, Newcastle as depleted as we are in terms of personnel, in terms of having players out injured, they might even be worse off than we are, to be honest. Uh, but they're performing anyway. You've got to give them a lot of credit for the way they're performing. With all things considered, they pretty much did win that game against PSG uh, the week earlier. Um, if it hadn't have been for that ridiculous penalty that PSG got, and then they went and beat... Obviously, we know United are like away from home against uh, bigger sides, but still had to beat them, and that should have been more than 1-0 from what I could see. So, yeah, that won't be an easy game either, and they won at ours last time. We obviously, it'll be our first game playing Newcastle again since we got embarrassed against them last season, uh, 6-1. So I'm hoping that they really want to get one over on them for for what they did to us last season, because that, for me, is probably as a Spurs fan, one of my most embarrassing experiences being at St James's Park that that day where we were five nil down after twenty one minutes. Like that's something that I feel like players. I think of players like Romero, Son. I think Son as well. They'll they'll look at that game and be angry about it and want to put things right because simply because you don't want to be embarrassed by another team that you're supposedly on the same level as. You want to be um, you want to be beating them. We obviously beat them 5-1 at home the season before that. Um, so it's not been that long since we thrashed them. But yeah, I think they'll want to put that right. And I, I believe genuinely, although we do have a lot of injuries, and although we're obviously still missing Van der Ven, um, and Madison's massive for us as well, we in the rest of the team, and obviously Benancourt, but and I love Benancourt, but we're used to being without Benancourt because it's been so long since he's had any sort of regular uh, game time. Our midfield looks decent enough. I'd say if you've got, if you play Hoiberg, Basuma, and Lacelso in there, I'm happy with that midfield. Um, if it ends up being um, Kulisevsky playing in the midfield as well, I'm happy with that. We've still got a really potent front line. And let's be honest, we didn't create that many opportunities against City, but we were really, really clinical. And that's a really good sign because I said in the last uh, podcast that 
we've been very wasteful with our chances. I mean, you consider that we scored three against City, we created a third of the amount of chances that we did against Villa and scored three times the amount of goals. Um, so yeah, although when you compare us to Newcastle, who are literally down to the bare bones, we've still got a really strong side that we can put out. There's only one of that of our best back four now missing. Um, we've still got the keeper. Newcastle don't even have Newcastle don't even have Nick Pope. I don't think for a while now. Um, Basuma would be our first choice midfielder. Um, Lacelso is is now coming into some great form. Hoiberg is useful. Um, like, as I said earlier about Hoiberg. In games where you feel like you're going to have all the ball, and West Ham, I don't think I'll have any issue with us having the ball the whole game. You may, he may reconsider it. We'll see. I'd really like. I think I'd really like it actually if he did give Hill another chance, and we did start with the same midfield that we started against City, because this isn't going to be the same game against West Ham that it would have been, that it was against City. They are a team that are happy to let the other team have the ball. Um, Although they do have good sort of ball playing midfielders themselves in yeah in Pakatar and uh, Ward Prowse, um, I do genuinely believe that we'll dominate the ball against them on Thursday. So it would be interesting to see to give Gill another chance. I think because I think there really is a player in there. He, like I said, it was a difficult game. City. I think if Ange had his chance again, he would have looked at the size of that City team and maybe not played Hill. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm hoping happens anyway. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, Andrew's managed to surprise us with some uh, team selections this year, but he's definitely not got as many options as he would like to. So I'd imagine it will stay relatively similar other than obviously Romero. Um, but yeah, great feeling around the club after that. We really needed to put an end to an end that three-game losing streak just to get the feeling back. And that a three-all draw against City in an exciting game always does that. It's great to have a midweek game as well because we're not really used to having that. We've been having to wait a week in between every game and it'll see how the players handle that, obviously, because it's a Thursday-Sunday um, turnaround. Uh, but yeah, season definitely isn't over. It's not brilliant. It's not lovely to see us, obviously, after the start we had there in fifth. But rather than look at the, and I think what are we now six points behind Arsenal, but it means nothing. It really does mean nothing at this stage that it's so tight up there from United in seventh to Arsenal in first. There's only nine points. Um, and between Newcastle in sixth and Arsenal in first, there's only uh, six points. So, sorry, seven points. So, Anything can happen. It's very, very early days. We've gone through a really difficult spell there. Um, Arsenal have got Luton uh, away and then they've got Villa away, I think, at the weekend. And that is not an easy game at all, as we know. Villa have got, and City have got Villa away um, <coughs> this midweek. So plenty of points to be taken there. Obviously, you'd look for a draw in the City-Villa game um, and a win for us. And we go above uh, Villa with that up. Oh, do we go above them? No, we wouldn't go above them if they drew because they've got a much better goal difference than us. And that's something we need to sort of get back as well. So hopefully we've only got a plus eight goal difference, which is mental, really. It's down to the down to that Chelsea game sort of brought it back. We haven't really we haven't really thrashed teams other than uh, Burnley and the wins that we have had this season. So that's why our, our goal difference is markedly worse than every other team in that top six. You see Newcastle have got a plus 18, Villa have got 13, City got 20, Liverpool and Arsenal both got 18. So that does matter towards the end of the season. So we do need to sort of get some, a few more 
significant wins uh, under our belt. But I do genuinely believe they're going to come against West Ham and uh, and Newcastle because that's just me being the eternal optimist. But yeah, it's very, very tight up there. There's a lot of games to play in December. Um, and I think that that draw against the champions will really galvanise us, galvanise us going forward. Anyway, I'm going to stop this because I've struggled with my voice after all the screaming yesterday. Um, next one I'll do will be after the Newcastle game. Thank you very much for listening. That's me.